We're thrilled to have you join us for today's episode, where we'll discuss 20 questions on product validation, chat Apple WWDC, and share our thoughts on the new passkey features that replace traditional passwords, along with a glimpse at Live Love App's latest adventures. Welcome to our podcast, Finding Joy with Live Love App, and our co-hosts and co-founders, Brian Love and Mike Ryan. Join us for regular conversations on all things developer, deep dives into design, and a special delivery of the latest trends, tips, and techniques, all while finding absolute joy along the way. All right. Welcome back to episode two of the Live Love App podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ryan, and today I'm joined by a very special full-time co-host, Brian Love. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Mike? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Is this a role <laughs> reversal? This is a role reversal. I figured we'd try that right off the bat. You took, you kind of took the reins on the prototype episode and the first episode. I am like the professional podcaster of the two of us. You're the pro. And I just, I saw what you were doing and I thought I could give it a try today. Well, you think you learned that fast, huh? (laughs) I have years of podcasting experience and you come in and you say (laughs) out of the way, I know what I'm doing just like that. I mean, you know, feel free to give me some notes on how I did, but I think I crushed that in terms of the skill with which I hit the record button, the counting ability for all five seconds of silence, and introducing you. I thought it was really good. See? Uh, What are we talking about today, Mike? Uh, Well, this is the first episode we recorded since WWDC, so I'm sure we're going to hit on a few of the headline topics, though we certainly don't have time to cover all of the fantastic news Mm -hmm. that came out of WWDC. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about some GitHub drama, and then uh, someone, one of us, wrote a lovely little article on product validation that we might get to as well. Okay, but first, I'm kind of curious, you know, how's Ben been for you? Ben is good. Uh, I think last time we talked about um, our fly fishing. Yeah, yeah, but it's been great. Yeah, I, it's weird though. You come back from a nice trip like that, and like immediately, it's just like back into just you know work and all of these things. So, um, but it's been good. Uh, I had my, uh, my wife's mom was here and I just took her to the airport this morning. So it feels a little quieter around here, which is fine. Um, but it was a really nice trip. It was good that she came out to be with Bonnie and yeah. uh, spend some time with Evelyn. So that's always an enjoyable thing. Sure. And I'm kind of curious because you've only been back for a few days since our fly fishing trip. Do you still find yourself moving as if you're in the boat? My legs are a little sore. It's funny. Like, I mean, I, I'm not like the sportiest person in the world by any means, but like I'm on some level of, I do things, but yeah. And you mountain bike and you ski both fairly regularly. You go on hikes with me. Yeah. And so like, but standing in like a fast moving (laughs) swift current river all day for like hours, for some reason it takes a toll. It really does. It does. It's a weird thing. Um, but no, I, but I certainly have been, um, you know, certainly telling people about the experience and how fun it was and um, just relaying the natural beauty of it all. It's just, it was such a really nice time. And uh, I occasionally mentioned that I caught 30 fish. I only it's caught 23. Slipped. I know, I know. But that's still, I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty fantastic. Um, I wish I had more pictures, honestly, because I'm you're like in the moment of like, you know, all of this and like, you know, it's not like I had like a selfie stick or something to like take a picture. I gave you all the photos that I had. I had a good number of photos for you, but they're mostly, I guess, of me and my fish and not of you and your fish. Correct. <laughs> yeah. 
but that's okay. You have some beautiful pictures of me with my fish to remember all the 23 fish that I caught. <laughs> they were gorgeous fish. Thank you. They're gorgeous fish. Uh, Portland's good. Portland is good. Uh, I don't have a car and I've hit an unusual set of circumstances in respect to not having a car. Why don't you have a car? Well, I, uh, I live in an interesting part of Portland where everything that I need is within a one mile radius and to park a car at my apartment would cost an extra $200 a month. And so looking at the total cost of ownership between parking it, paying for car insurance and maintaining the car payment, it just doesn't make any sense to own a vehicle anymore for me personally. 200 bucks a month is that's a steal in downtown in Portland. <laughs> I mean, our, our, our millions of listeners that are in other cities are probably like, really? 200 bucks? That's not so bad. <laughs> for this Alabama boy, the thought of having to pay for my long-term parking for my vehicle is just outrageous to me. You, you Plus I had an electric before. car before and my electric that's car right. re- required charging. And my apartment does not have a regular parking garage. It has a car stacker which means you could not plug an electric vehicle in it. So not only would I pay 200 bucks a month, I couldn't charge my vehicle from there. Well, I thought you told me that there is a spot with an electrical vehicle charging spot, but a very large internal combustion engine vehicle is parked in that spot. (laughs) Yes, it has been iced, uh, ICE internal combustion engine, and iced has been iced over by one of these gas guzzling vehicles because it's too big. For the <laughs> in the car stacker, <laughs> in the That's car stacker. So there's one EV spot, but it's occupied by this big like Chevy Tahoe or something, and uh, which is just you know, that's just it's just perfect. I'm sure it's breaking some kind of Portland. I was law. gonna say in Portland that's that doesn't pass. <laughs> that doesn't pass. So, but I still need a car sometimes. So I've been using this service called Free to Move. Have you heard of this one? I have. Yeah, so there's these like Jeep Renegades all over Portland. And if you've ever used one of like the scooter services in another city, it works the same Mm -hmm. way. You walk up to a Jeep Renegade, tap on it in your app, you get in it and you drive away. And it just charges you for the amount of time you use the Jeep Renegade. Yeah. So last weekend I took it to Bend because you can actually have the car for as long as you'd like. And so I took it for three days and they didn't charge me for the privilege of having the car all three days. That's fantastic. And then yesterday I took it out and I drove it to Beaverton and kept it for about four hours last night, brought it back and they didn't charge me for the privilege of taking it to Beaverton. So I hope there's no one from free to move listening to our podcast, but it's basically a free car service. Well, that's the name of it, Mike. It's it's called free free to move. move. I just thought they might charge me at some point. And so far I seem to have found the way to have a car in Portland. And I never pay for parking, never pay for gas, don't have to pay for car insurance. I get in my car and go. That sounds fantastic. Sounds like one of those startups. They must have got a whole bunch of VC cash and like <laughs> revenue is just not a priority. But you're using it like twice a week. So you're you're like, you're I'm good for the, the metrics. You're we're going to have enough of that series B soon in terms of user engagement. And that's the priority right now for free. Yeah. Food. And then they will shut it down and <laughs> have to sell off all these cheap renegades <laughs> with tons of miles on them. You know, it's such a funny thing because you get in your car every day and we all get in the exact same car, right? The car that we own, like you own your car yeah. and you get into it, you drive it every day. And for me, it's no different. I get into a Jeep Renegade every day. And it's the same Jeep Renegade in terms of the year and its features and its capabilities and what the interior looks like, yeah. but it's not the same car. It's a completely different Jeep Renegade than what I drove yesterday. 
do you like set the like radio station you should just check because what if it is the same one right i mean, I mean the color changes it on it so i know obscure. from that perspective oh, okay. that oh. you know oh today my car is teal or tomorrow my car will be white you know the, the right. color of the car changes right. but understood what it's, it's such a weird relationship to have with the vehicle i'm not a big just... jeep renegade fan to be honest with you that strikes me as kind of a Mike Ryan car. I still think you should do like some obscure like AM radio on these things and just kind of see what happens. Maybe see it comes back. Happens. Yeah, and maybe other people catch on to it. You know what I mean? And like you get in one the next day, somebody else has a, you know, or you can just always set it to NPR, you know? Yeah. Something like that. Just Though I feel polite. like in Portland, that would be like, oh, somebody would get in the car and be like, Perfect. oh, thank goodness. This I is exactly NPR. what I was hoping for. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I was texting a buddy of mine and like, do they use NGRX for the app or something? Is there some reason why you keep getting free cars from them? And maybe that maybe they are NGRX fans and they use NGRX underneath the hood. And if you are, keep it up. I'm happy to keep not contributing to that project for my free car. Well, it is free to move. So when it they say when they say uh, dollars to move or, or cost to move, <laughs> when they rebrand, you, you might want to go try to find another provider. Uh, anyways, let's get into some news from the past week. All uh, right, time for the news we, of the week. We've got tons of things from WWDC, and the first one that I want to talk about as an ex Auth Zero ambassador is Apple Pass Keys. So have you looked into this X? one much yet? I wasn't I was an off zero ambassador for and then I got booted out of it. Why'd you get sometimes you champion? You know, I guess they wanted you as an ambassador to like promote the brand. You're promoting it right now. Let's email. (laughs) Sam two years too late. (laughs) Sam. Let's get Mike back on the panel. (laughs) I still have an off zero t-shirt somewhere. Well, then there you go. Yeah, you know, on that note, though, like, it's weird how, like, these companies have these, I'm going to go on a rant. Can I go on a rant? Am I allowed go to? Go on a rant, then we'll get back to pass keys. <laughs> okay, okay, then we're going to get back to pass keys. But listen, some, and I know I'm going to get some flack for this, somebody in marketing or DevRel is like, we're going to create this program, we're going to call it whatever, ambassador or whatever it is, something else, and you're going to get some, like, little swag pack. And I think it's a good idea in general. Yeah. But it's kind of weird that companies just expect you to work for free. Yeah. Right. I, I completely agree. Yes. So really well, what you should be called is instead of an ambassador, you should be, instead of being called an odd zero ambassador, we should call you an odd zero. Unpaid uh, intern. Unpa- unpaid intern. Exactly. <laughs> yes. We expect so many blog posts, so many conference talks a year out of you. You get a t-shirt, huzzah, you're not unpaid. It's like a $1.50, you know, t-shirt that's, you know, made overseas and shipped across the ocean. Not like we have climate change or anything that you'll probably never wear or throw the t-shirt in the garbage. And then, you know, all for nothing. So you can work for free for some company so you could get some sort of clout. Yeah. I feel like somebody, this is a win-lose situation, isn't it? <laughs> Someone's winning a lot. You know, well, somebody's winning a lot more think- than the other. You know, for a long time, my dream is to be a Google developer expert. I think there might be listeners right now that might aspire to one day be a Google developer expert. And it's funny because before you get to be in it, you, you view it as this prestigious title. And I'm not saying that it isn't. And then, you know, people work hard to get it and they earn yeah, it. No, but it at the end of the day, what being a Google developer expert is, is you are marketing Google products on their behalf without pay. Yes. 
but arguably it comes around and it does help you in terms of career advancement and yes. maybe opportunities to speak on stage or some other other things might kind of come around i don't know do you think all zero do you think it, when you were an all zero ambassador were you like you know getting listen i don't i don't mean this as a slight in any way to the all zero ambassador crew but i was made an ambassador during the pandemic and i lost my ambassador status during the pandemic and so for that me personally, rough. I mean, even airlines extended. extended yeah, even airlines extended status, right? I, it just it just feels like <laughs> if your expectation for me was to speak and write blog posts for free during what we could say was a fairly stressful period of time. For uh, pretty much everybody. For pretty much everyone. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of speaking <laughs> opportunities. And, you know, speaking at a remote conference is the best. Yeah, definitely not the worst experience possible. So... It, that is the only advocacy program that has ever removed me from their list. And um, Mike, it, I'm going to make you a live, love, app ambassador right now. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to knight you. If you're going to get me an ambassador, you need to make me a Cyprus ambassador. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Speaking I of ambassador I, programs. I think I, think I need to write I do a lot for it though. Like we do workshops. Yeah, we do a, you do, we do a lot. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. You don't do a lot for Cyprus. You have me do a lot for Cyprus. I guess in that way, you are an ambassador. The best <laughs> ambassador, if you will. I do all the shadow work for you to maintain your ambassador badge for Cyprus. For those who are listening, I, I wrote our Cyprus workshop and I have delivered it more times than Wait, Brian. I wrote like the first half of it. Uh, first third of it i don't know i'm not measuring by slide count but i did i did fair, <laughs> fairly i mean i did a little bit of lift it was i was he in did, aruba Mike. It was rough. <laughs> that's what right you, you were on the beach in december what did you want me to do <laughs> and i was in north alabama writing your cypress workshop our our or cypress workshop see I, I, you're right i i keep giving it why, to you but it's this, it's, is, this <laughs> is why you're a live love app ambassador you work for free it's perfect <laughs> We need to get more of these people. We need to get more Cypress. If you want to be a Live Love Ambassador, you Live Love App Ambassador, you email me. Let me Hello know. Hello at liveloveapp.com. When it's not for free, we're going to give you a swag bag. And our swag's unbelievable. Ooh, that's true. There's stickers and t-shirts and hoodies, all with our beautiful logo and branding on it that you're going to love wearing out and about. Yes. And all you have to do is speak about Live Love App and write a blog post once a week. Easy. Okay. Well, my I think my rant is down. <laughs> I do not mean any offense to people who are part of I'm part of these programs. I find them interesting. I all I was simply trying to point out is that it is a bit of a work for free program, right? It's absolutely you, know, you do get something in exchange, but it's not monetary value. Right. Like most of the work I do, people pay me to do it. This yep. is work that I do that I don't get paid for. So really, it should just be called a volunteer program. It should be called an <laughs> ambassadorship. It should be on zero volunteers. <laughs> Let's be honest. And you should be able to write it off on your taxes. They should form a 503CB underneath Auth zero for the volunteer program. So that way you can write off at least some of, you get some sort of monetary value. Okay. WWDC. I'm sorry. I got us very distracted. Classic. You're fine. Apple <laughs> Passkey. Let's talk about it. Yeah, tell me what it is. Okay. Apple Passkey 
is Apple's solution for passwordless authentication. Wait, 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 wait. We already have password authentication on my device, at least. I have Face ID and they previously had Touch ID. Correct. Okay. And this is going to feel very familiar because it's still going to be Touch ID and Face ID. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this is that this is actually based on a web standard. That's why I'm so excited about this particular feature because it's based on web auth in and FIDO2. Mm -hmm. Yep. So in web auth in is basically a web standard. You could implement this today in a web browser of your choosing. And it's basically like private key, public key. You store a private key and you give the authentication service you want to authenticate with a public key. Mm-hmm. And then you do an exchange every time you authenticate. And the nice part of WebAuthN is the way that you authenticate is fairly agnostic. Basically, the hardware vendor of the device you're using can expose different ways for you to do some kind of identity check. It's like on your That's MacBook, yeah, WebAuthN, you do it with Touch ID, right? Or on your phone, you can do it with Face ID. But so if I'm a developer and I want to implement this and you send me your public key, don't I then have to hit a third party service to verify that public key? So yes. there's like, is there like an Apple API that then so, I say, you know, ver- here's this public key for this Brian dude. And then they hand, they basically say, yep, that's right. Or something like that. Yeah. There's like, there's like a signed promise that happens. I'm, the details of it are fairly complicated from that point. Um, what I kind of thought what was interesting about this though is that they're bringing this this already exists for the web. They're bringing this to apps or for app developers to leverage. Oh. So the way you'd use it if you're a native app developer ends up being very similar to the way you do it if you're a web developer. And then as the consumer of this, you have these private keys for each web service that you're trying to authenticate with or each app you're trying to authenticate with. Apple's pass key solution is going to store all these private keys for you in iCloud keychain and synchronize these across your devices. Ooh, that's so, nice. So it's like this high security authentication protocol that no longer requires passwords and can rely on biometrics, but is really like private key, public key, a very, you know, that's cool. if you're a developer, a great way to, to do authentication in general, <clears throat> high security authentication, but they've like really smoothed out the UX for developers by making this consistent, whether you're building for the web or for native, and they've yes. really smoothed out the user experience for users by handling or storing all the private keys on your behalf and synchronize them across your devices via iCloud. Really nice. So if I look at can I use and I go to the web authentication API, I can see that this has been fairly broadly well supported for a while, right? I mean, at least back several years. Right. But if I'm hearing you correctly is while this has existed, the actual like user story of it was not really well like, pretty, it's pretty complex. It required a third-party service a lot of times, like you were mentioning. Um, right. But like at its base level, it should not require a third-party service. At a base level, the user has this private key. The service you're trying to authenticate with has your public key. And then you do, you know, approve during That's authentication. Cool. That's <clears throat> very so they've cool. they've really made this great, in my opinion. I think there's actually a big chance that passwordless security oh. or authorization could really blossom. That would be amazing. I feel bad for one password and last pass. Yes. But yes. I mean, there is a downside. Ugh, I think. What's the downside? 
<laughs> so in the Apple ecosystem, I think we're both uh, Apple users. I think we both, I wear an Apple watch. You don't wear one, but we both have or AirPods. Yeah. We both have iPhones. Yeah. We both have MacBooks. Have you ever tried to sign on one device and it gives you an MFA check and asks you to sign in or approve the request from a different device? Yep. Yeah, of course. It's going to be the same thing for all of your passwordless services. Like if I'm not signed into my iCloud account on this device, I need my other Apple device to log on into it. And so, you know, this, this isn't like pointed out in the passkey documentation, but to me, that is the downside is like my device hmm. becomes my proof that I am who I am. And to get into my device, I need a second device often. A second device, yeah. Um, so you know, it probably entrenches you in the Apple ecosystem a little bit more if you choose sure. to go down this path. But yeah, as a as a boy who's all in on Apple at this point in terms of my daily App, devices, Android will be, be great. This, but Android, I would assume, is going to follow suit behind this in some way, right? With, with, right. with some sort of implementation, I would think that's similar. I assume so. And what, but what we can assume is there's a future where we don't have to have passwords. Yes. Oh. And it's really awesome to see that this web standard, the standard for web development is being kind it's of actually helping propel this. Yeah. And more spaces than just the web. It's also yep. being pulled into this native is, spaces. This is going to boost that adoption of that API. I would think, you know, pretty well, which would be really I think nice. so. That's cool. Yeah, it's one of my favorite announcements from WWDC. Uh, what was your favorite announcement from WWDC? You know, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole live stream or whatnot, um, but they did have, uh, let me pull it up here. Um, uh, there was a couple of things I thought that was interesting. I don't yet have this, but uh, maybe in a future car, I saw the uh, CarPlay. I think this is interesting for me anyways, is, so CarPlay before was kind of this uh, app that was installed for a lot of vehicles, right? But now they've introduced a version of CarPlay that will actually take over the vehicle's entire dashboard, which means it could, like, you know, you got rid of Tina, uh, unfortunately. She's sent out, been sent out to the farm. Uh, but if you own, like, a Tesla, like, the uh, specifically, like, Model 3 or Y or whatever, I know some of them have different displays. But basically, the entire kind of display provides all the information you need about the vehicle, speed, fuel, maps, music, entertainment, all of that. Um, and so Apple kind of introduced a new version of CarPlay that would kind of go down that same route, which only further proves to my wife who told me 10 years ago that Apple's going to make a car. So I mean, at this point, they have to. I feel like the biggest preview of the Apple car at this point. That's they my next to. car is the Apple car. That way I can sign into my iPhone via my car. I, you'll be able to just walk up. Yeah, that's right. You'll, you'll authenticate <laughs> into your Gmail account using your car. You'll have to like <laughs> go into your car and like get face ID'd or something. <laughs> yeah. But I did think that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't I'm not like, a, I mean, definitely speculative in terms of like investment strategy, but, you know, could this be, another move for Apple towards an actual uh, electric vehicle or a vehicle in general. I personally think they'd crush it from just a supply chain perspective. As a Tesla stockholder, I hope they don't crush it. But I'm also an <laughs> Apple stockholder, so I do hope they crush it. So I don't know. There's I'm your mixed. financial disclosure for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I did say how much. I, uh, how many shares? 
Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so I did think that was really interesting. The other thing they, I saw that there was something in the announcement uh, that I read anyways in a New York Times article that said <clears throat> there's going to be the ability for the iPhone to unlock doors. Um, doesn't yeah. it already do that by using NFC? <laughs> So I don't know much about this. I'm definitely speaking a little blindly here, but my understanding is that a couple of phone makers are like kind of standardizing the Tesla approach of using um, basically wireless communication protocols to detect proximity to your car as a means of unlocking it. Right. I think Apple's in a really unique perspective. Uh, What's the name of the wireless protocol they're using to do um, Find My these days? I forget the name of it. Oh, what is that called? With the that came out in the Apple AirTags. That's right. Yeah, it's a higher bandwidth, like it's higher bandwidth than Bluetooth and more accurate. And I don't remember what it's called. It's oh, it's similar to NFC. It's it is like a near near range, like it's a, it's ultra wideband, right? And it's like right yeah. on the uh, the device. But yeah, yep. it's low power. It probably is like still like Bluetooth low energy, um, yeah. but I think it's over that ultra wideband frequency. Right. And I think that has such, like, I think that'd be really fantastic means of unlocking a car. Having used Bluetooth to unlock my Tesla for the previous like three or four years, um, it's really a great user experience when it works. And Apple yes. is probably in a great position to make the cases in which it doesn't work much smaller than what Tesla mm-hmm. was able to achieve. Yeah. That's cool. I like the idea of it personally. Um, you know, being able to walk up to a rental car or a hotel room or something like that and have it unlocked. I mean, I think a, some like providers already have solutions around like NFC or something like that, that, that works, but any sort of standardization around that, uh, seems like a really good idea. Yeah. So, uh, I don't Another know. One. Oh yeah, go ahead. iOS 16 is going to support web push notifications Ooh, in I Safari. I saw that. I think that means that, okay, so for those who are not aware, in theory, a service worker should Mm -hmm. allow you and a browser that supports the standards to configure that browser to receive push notifications. Mm -hmm. I see it a lot more on like news websites these days, like, hey, I'd like to send you notifications that appearing in in my browser. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Android support it for some amount of time. I mean, the Chrome in general is just usually the ones, the Chrome team is usually the ones that does a really good job of implementing these mm-hmm. standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but iOS has been notably absent in the ability to send those devices push notifications for mm-hmm. quite some time now. And so I'm right. really excited that as a web developer, I could actually build a web application that could send push notifications to the two most common uh, web operating systems around really narrowing the gap between web app and native app. And that, that's going to be able to work, uh, obviously, like offline. So if I'm not on the website or if I've closed the website, like that service worker, like that, that push notification is going to come in behind the scenes. That's right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So this is a small one, but any time iOS Safari gets a little bit closer to the standards, I'm happier and happier. Agreed. It's definitely the IE of the 2020s. It is, unfortunately. But And then uh, another one was M2. And the yeah. uh, processor came out. So Apple Silicon, uh, they kind of updated their processor. It looks like it's going to be launched in the redesigned MacBook Air, which looks pretty nice. They got rid of the like bevel. Um, yeah. And so I think it's just exciting to see this uh, like 
a progression by Apple of investing in this side of the, the business. You know, obviously this is kind of, I think from my understanding, uh, you know, taking a lot of what they've learned over the last decade with ARM processors, um, the A1 and all of that, and kind of backloading that into, uh, you know, really powerful processors, um, you know, 64-bit processors that can just handle tons of data. Yeah. And uh, our, then the best part is we, I think you have an M1 and I have an M1 as well. The best part is just the power efficiency. It's just like incredible. Like I can actually be on my laptop all day and not have to plug in. So um, I can build code on my lap without burning my legs. Yeah, that too. It doesn't spin up. It doesn't get as hot, right? Obviously that, yeah. you know, power consumption, right? It doesn't have to spin up fans to cool it down. Yeah, I think that to date, the only time I can get my fans to spin on my M1 laptop is to do a um, node install from source. From source. Sure, that would do it. <laughs> if you do like an And then NPM, you'll regret that decision for some amount of time for having yeah. done native node instead of emulated node one year. I'm not going to go there, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely gets fans going. So that's like the only way to, to trigger that, but. Very cool. So that's WWDC. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about there? No, I mean, there's just so much more news than Brian and I could cover. And, you know, we'll let the Apple podcasts break that down in more detail than, I'm sure than what we're able to do. Will. I'm sure they will. I have another article, not WWDC. It's not even an article. It's a pull request. Yeah, I believe I heard about this. Pull request number 24. The repo name is Sign Up, part of the Epic Games okay. organization. Uh, person created a small PR to make some aesthetic changes to the signup page. And they thought they would tag some of the teams in the Epic Games organization. So they oh, tagged. Oh, like a polite thing to do. It does. I mean, that's like, hey, I'm making this change. Just want everyone in the admin group to know. Everyone in the developers team to know. Oh, wow. And yeah, just, hey, I've made this PR. Here you go. Because the team is public, they could tag them all. And the really lovely part of tagging everyone in those teams is that for this small PR that adds eight lines of code and removes two, they uh, sent an email notification to 400,000 developers. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Mike. I think you exaggerated. It says 398,463 members. You're so right. I'm sorry. I forgot that there's, you know, I added 1,500 extra. Listen, they just sent it. Like sent full here. send. Full send. It might just, be the most reviewed pull request in the history of on pull planet requests. Earth. <laughs> I think I heard from somebody that uh, then Microsoft started getting tagged on this and people were like, this shouldn't be possible. How can you allow notifying 400,000 members via an email spam message? I just love it because like, it's not that big of a PR and it doesn't really change much about it. No, and it's one didn't, it didn't get merged. It just got closed. closed. <laughs> oh. Got lots I, of comments, though. Lots of commentary. All 400,000 people had a I lot wanna, to say. I want to defend this person because 
all they did was they did at Epic Team Admin. Right? I mean, that does that seems rather innocent, right? Yes. They didn't know it was going to maybe hit 400,000 emails. That is true. Or no, it wasn't know. just, oh, no, no. It's because they, they tagged all these other the developers as well. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> I like the first comment by GAK. <laughs> I think he just notified 398,463 members. Huzzah! Like little dance emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Send it. <laughs> I, I love it. I that. love it. This is this. Is, I mean, I did, I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt and assume they did not mean to do this. There are plenty of people in the comments speculating otherwise, but you know, I think I don't think they intended to do it. I would just be mortified. I would I just would delete my GitHub account. I would just, I'd just start <laughs> over. Forget my contributor graph. I'm done here. I. Uh, I, I that's a rough day. That's a rough day. I think I commented. Um, earlier when I was chatting with some folks about this and I was like, you know, I think Dependabot got beat. Get out of the way, Dependabot. <laughs> like everybody's like least favorite notifier on GitHub, at least mine, is Dependabot. And here in comes whatever this user is <clears throat> with 400K notifications, just crushing it. Mm. Uh, I, you know, with that many notifications, maybe you could say that they should be, I mean, that's a lot of work to send out 400,000 emails. Maybe they should be a part of the GitHub volunteers organization. I mean, ambassadors organization. They should be a GitHub ambassador <laughs> since, since they, they did all of that. That's pretty incredible. Oh, I love it. It makes me so happy as, as a uh, open source maintainer, these little things that can occur. Yes. But you're well, never mind. I was gonna, I don't, let's not open up that because I can imagine that as an open source maintainer, you get all kinds of very interesting issues and pull requests and the like. Sure. So Absolutely, you do. Maybe that's another for another, another time. episode the stories of open source. The stories of open source. <laughs> we, should, we should get a guest on and talk about that and be interesting. Maybe like in a fun way, like the, BTR. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get BTR on the podcast. Let's talk about, you know, the fun things, the not so fun things, annoying things, whatever. Um, I have another yeah. article. Okay, go ahead. This one is by Brian Love. Oh, okay. My very yeah, special full-time co-host. And it's 20 questions on product validation. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to write this blog post because I think, you know, one of the things that we do here at Live Love App is we work with early stage startups. And I think that what's really interesting is to me anyways, is this concept of product validation, kind of what is it and why is it necessary? When should I validate? How often should I validate? Things like that. And so I thought it'd be fun to write a blog post that really just kind of in a very kind of succinct way. I'm not trying to answer every, you know, very nuanced detail of all these questions but kind of talking about at a very high level, like about product validation. Uh, so yeah, so I have a question about this. Yeah. I imagine that most of our listeners are developers. Why as a developer should I invest in knowing more about product validation? 
Yeah, I think because I think product validation is such a key part of what we do because we're not just talking about like you I mean product validation I think probably is a range, right? Like you can validate an idea or a product initially, but a product is never stagnant. At least hopefully it's not, right? And so you continue to evolve and innovate on a product. And so that requires a continued focus on validating what you're doing. Um, through user experience surveys and kind of helping to understand what you're building and how that's impacting the user and how it's meeting the user's needs. And so I think product validation for developers is maybe something that we don't own, but it's still part of what we're doing because, you know, we build features, we build on applications and we innovate. Um, And if we're doing that, we should probably have a feedback loop to validate that what we're doing is truly innovative and is moving things forward. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as a developer, some of us get to work at early stage startups where product validation is not just, I mean, I think it's important at every product stage. Most, both, both the most mature products and the earliest products need product validation, but in a startup environment, um, which kind of for the space I love to live in as a developer, it's not just important, it's kind of critical. Yeah, definitely critical. Obviously, I mean, when it comes to, you know, taking an idea and taking it to market and seeing if people are going to engage with it, um, you know, kind of determining, you know, how do I get feedback? What kind of feedback is useful? Um, I think yeah. it's just really important. And I think it has kind of cool architectural implications too as developers, like, if we're working at early stage startups and we're thinking a lot about product validation, we're trying to validate our product. I think that really informs our architecture or the things that we want to build. Like we might build things quite differently if we're at an early stage startup seeking product validation versus the way we might build something in a more mature established product environment. Absolutely. And I think the reason why you do so is cost is probably a driving factor of that for sure. Um, But also longevity of that code i mean you know certainly when you write code it needs to be maintained but sometimes when you write code and the whole the sole purpose is for validation it's fine to throw that code away in the end because you've achieved your goal of validation right that is the goal the goal is not to build some sort of long-term solution that's going to last for years and years and years your goal is to get something in front of users get feedback and iterate quickly so you want to architect something that is probably low code or no code, low cost, is very uh, agile. You can move quickly and, and something that, frankly, you're just okay with throwing away, right? Because you're going whoa, to whoa, 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 validation. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm Mr. Engineer here, and there's no way I'm going to write throwaway code. I want to write the best, most maintainable, easiest to test code possible. And I think that that has its place. But it depends on where you are in the journey of your product, I think. Yeah, I think one of our uh, friends in the Angular community, uh, Mr. Frosty, recently had a tweet about the idea of, oh, um, you know, seeing companies suffer from doing dramatic rewrites. If I throw in my code, that implies that I'm rewriting my product. And I wouldn't want to do that, right? Well, I'm not sure what the context of the tweet was. So suffering in terms of dramatic rewrites? Yeah, the argument was like, there's a time and place for rewrites. And it seems like you're suggesting that uh, I have to rewrite my code as part of product validation. 
I think I am. And what's wrong with that? As long as you didn't spend a lot of money, well, what was the goal, right? So if the goal is to get to market and to validate. And if you achieve that goal, then you can dis you can dispose of the code that you was used to achieve that goal if that's what you want to do. Maybe you can use parts of it or all of it or some of it, but you've achieved your goal. On the other hand, if your goal is to build something that's robust and going to last a long time, you've already validated, you've got paying customers, you've been to the, you know, you've proven it in the marketplace, and you've built something that's resilient, you know, that needs to be resilient then obviously we don't want to just throw slap code together and just throw it away every year or two because a new framework comes out. Sure. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Just kind of playing devil's advocate about it because it it's weird as a developer, I certainly can think of times where I've written code that needed to be thrown away and I get attached to it. We all do. I agree. Same. And I'm also an engineer that's pre-optimized. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Same. And I think that's the, ten, that is the, the difference between, you know, when you're focused solely on, if you're, if you're focused truly on building a prototype or, uh, you know, an MVP and your goal is product validation, then you need to go in it with a headspace of understanding that in order to achieve that goal, it might be the case that you're going to have to start over. Yeah, I agree. And let's also be honest, you might take it to market and people might puke and say, I don't want this. And you're throwing it away anyways. Yeah. Product validation doesn't mean keep showing it to people until you get success. It's okay to get a failure. It, you're going to, you, yeah. Or you pivot. And so yeah. then parts of the code might get tossed or reused or changed or morphed. I think, you know, that's the, that's the difference between kind of a more established market, you know, on the other hand, and maybe this is what Frosty was referring to, you know, if I've got a large, well-understood business application, um, you know, that's been used for 10 years and I have to rewrite it, that might be seen as like a really heavy cost. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? And why am I rewriting it in that case? Am I rewriting it for poor architecture, poor technical decisions, or am I rewriting it because I need a new user interface or that type of thing? And let's be honest, like, I mean, code changes, you know, apps have changed, I, you know, even I would think to some extent, like the music app on the Mac OS platform has probably been rewritten, you yeah. know, iTunes from 20 years ago is not the same app that it is today. Um, and probably some of the core is still used, um, it, you know, but in general, I think, you know, you're going to see over the life of an application that it's going to grow and change. Absolutely. So I appreciate putting this together. I think it's really worth a read. Again, check it out, liveloveapp.com slash blog. Uh, 20 questions about product validation by Brian Love. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you have any feedback on it, definitely send it over to us. Um, I think it's, again, I try to be pretty short, easy to understand. Uh, there's a couple of fun concepts in the, the article in terms of like, do I need to generate revenue? Uh, maybe using like things like pre-selling strategies uh, in order to go out and get validation or using things like LTDs or lifetime deals in order to attract early adopters. Um, so there's, I think there's some unique ideas in there that you can take. Uh, so if it's if you're involved in an early stage startup and you're working on product validation, um, hopefully this is something that can kind of help. Yep. All right, well, I think that's it for the news of the week. 
Time for my favorite segment, Finding Joy. All, All right. right. What'd you do, Mike? Oh, you want me to go first this time? Yeah, please. All right. Well, I think, as you know, I'm an avid hiker these days. I quite love hiking. It has been part of the draw of coming to Portland is the easy access to hikes. And I thought I'd give a shout out to a trail that I've done maybe three or four times over the past week and a half. I think if you're native to the area, you have probably already done it or are familiar with it. But the Angels Rest Trail as part of the gorge, a fantastic two-mile hike over about 1,000 feet of elevation gain. So it's a hike. You know, I wouldn't say it's not, not a hike. It's fairly decent. Um, but bang for the buck, the views you get out of Angel's Rest are absolutely fantastic. I'd absolutely recommend it for anyone who wants to get some good views of the gorge. Is that the right name for that area, Brian? Am I, am I speaking yeah. as if I'm a Portlander? Yeah, the I'm gorge. Practicing. I think it's a national scenic view area or something like that. It's not a national park or it's not national forest. It's something else. It's like a scenic view area or something. Uh, but yeah, the Columbia Gorge. Have you done this hike? June Bonnet when you're out here? Not, I have not done Angel's Rest. Uh, I did half a dog mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a brutal hike. Yeah, which one's uh, Dog Mountain? Uh that one's what you did it. It's like three thousand vertical. Three thousand feet, feet over miles. three miles. Uh, three, three miles. miles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is an absolutely brutal hike. I think it is it's a brutal hike. Got an average grade of twenty five percent with a max grade of eighty percent. Like you, you really work to get to the top of Dog Mountain. Yeah, I think we worked to get to half, and we said, "Ah, that's good," because you kind of you get to an overlook, and um, it's a nice view from there too. So you're like, okay, good. <laughs> but yeah, so I'd say I, the Angels Rest is like doing half of Dog Mountain. Yeah, so pretty easy to go out and do. Great, a little view, bit closer to Portland. Yep, nice hike. But if you're feeling up for it, Dog Mountain's where it's at. But that's that's a real hike. That's the real real hike. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do it next time you come to Portland, right? Sure. Dog Mountain. Sure. Sure. At least half of it. At least half of it. <laughs> I would like to. I'd like to redo it in the spring because I did do it in the fall, and the wildflowers are not quite the same. So. When I did it, all the wildflowers were out, and it was really quite beautiful. That's cool. Very cool, man. What about you? What have you been up to? How are you finding joy? Well, before our fishing trip, I went on a nice bike ride uh, here in Bend. We got a great uh, mountain biking scene. And a little shout-out to Funner and Tiddlywinks. Some really fantastic. (laughs) Funner and Tiddlywinks. There are two trails. One's funner. Oh, I see. <laughs> when and you then, talk about that, it's like these are other mountain bikers you've met on the trail. Oh, I'm <laughs> oh my good pals, no. Funner and Tiddlywinks. No, 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 no. These the Funner is a really fantastic trail uh, off of the Cascade Lakes Highway uh, that you can do, and then that connects to Tiddlywinks. So I think you're making this up. Do you live nope. in a fantasy land? Well, that's true. <laughs> that's why I moved here. But yeah, no, there's some great mountain biking out here and I've really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, Funner is a great, I don't, I don't know how much vertical feed it goes up, but I did do an, a fun hike with a buddy, or excuse me, uh, bike. And we did about 25 miles and 3000 vertical feet. So it's a serious amount of biking. It's a serious amount of biking. How it's tired really were you after that one? Exhausted. <laughs> I did that before we went on the fishing trip and I like was like, I'm going to have to take like four days of leg rest just to be able to stand in the river. So you don't wear uh, an activity tracker when you do that, right? 
No, I don't. I used That's to have an Apple bad. Watch and I got rid of it. It's too much. Sure. I was just curious what the burn would have been from that particular day of biking. I mean, that must have been a serious day. It was a serious day. It was fun. Yeah. It was really fun. And my buddy's like a really good mountain biker. Your I'm buddy Tiddlywink? But that's the trail. Yes, that's the trail. Uh, and so um, he does the crazy drop-offs and uh, some of the serious features. And so I just kind of go around them. So I'm still, <laughs> I'm still learning. But it's really fun. I've enjoyed getting into mountain biking. I think a lot of other people have, especially in the last couple of years, um, which is great. It's just a great sport to get out and enjoy, do some biking, get outside, you know, so... So if I wanted a mountain bike, how'd you tell me to start? Yeah, I think I'm not sure if I'm the best to answer that. I think if I was going to get started with mountain biking, I would rent a bike from like a mount, like a shop. Um, and then probably talk to the folks at the shop and just kind of see where to go. You can do um, like a shuttle service too. If you don't want to do a lot of uphill, uh, some places will actually shuttle you kind of to the top of a section. And then you can do kind of more downhill if you want um because it tends to be there's like uphill and although i mean any trip just like a hiking trail like you go up and down oftentimes right um but you can do it that way um and then really just want to start with just like it's similar to skiing you want to start with those greens and blue trails and there's lots of websites like trail forks that you can look up kind of trails and get an idea um um, you can probably also get a guided like we did with fly fishing i bet you can go to a bike shop on a family trip rent some bikes and they'll take you out and show you a nice time kind of, and they, they'll tailor it to you and kind of what you're looking to do and stuff. Um, so, and it's definitely for all ages, like, uh, you know, kids can do it as well. Um, you're just on this, the, the smaller jumps or the smaller uh, trails and stuff. So, and you, the best thing, and I tell myself this all the time, there's nothing wrong with just getting off the bike and walking. Cause there's often times that I'm just like, um, I'm not, I can't do this. I can't or I'll try that. and I'll get through like half of it or especially like rocks and stuff. You know what I mean? Like really challenging little parts of the trail. And I just, yeah, that's fine. Come back and try it again, you know, and eventually you'll figure it out or learn it. And there's no shame in just getting off the bike and pushing it up the hill or walking around or something like that. So. Yeah. That's great advice. You have to keep us up to date as you keep getting into the sport and getting better at your, Tiddlywinks trail and funner and funner, which is pretty fun. Well, good, but is it the funnest one? I don't know. Tiddlywinks is pretty good. <laughs> Tiddlywinks might be more better than funner. <laughs> might be more fun. Might be funner than funner. <laughs> all right. Well, as always, thank you all for joining us. This has been the Live Love App Podcast with Mike and Brian. I hope you'll have a great day. See ya. Bye. That's it for today's episode. Thank you to our on occasion yet all the time permanent co-host, Brian Love and Mike Ryan. We'll be sure to keep the conversation going, so stay tuned for more Live Love App discussions. And in the meantime, send us a hello by reaching out to us on our website at www.liveloveapp.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, design, develop, and deliver absolute joy with Live Love App.